Welcome to this week's episode of User Words Podcast, recorded on 10 15 2022. We're doing part three of the book Awake and Alive to Truth by John Cooper. And this week we're going to be covering a couple chapters here. I believe it's uh, chapter six through and seven here, if I remember correctly. And then we have one more part after this. Thank you. When you talk about, you know, getting lost in time when you're doing stuff with technology, I, f- I find myself, if I'm in the restroom and I have my phone, I'll easily spend 30 minutes just sitting there on my phone. But if I don't have my phone, I'll be in and out within like five minutes. So the bathroom has become your place of worship to your <laughs> su- to your smartphone. To my phone. Yeah, <laughs> as odd as that sounds. Yeah, your bathroom is now the sanctuary to your smartphone. Do you have like a little pedestal to put your smartphone on? No. <laughs> okay, it's my hands. <laughs> no, your hands are just a little pedestal. Head, yes. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of User Words Podcast. We're going through chapters. I believe it's six and seven this week. Um, the reason I say six and seven is because I took six pages of notes between chapter six and seven. So it may end up being a little bit longer in that regards. And then we'll go through the rest of the book on the next episode. So (laughs) I love Aaron. How he's just like, Oh boy, what did I get myself into? (laughs) And I loved as the intro music was playing, you're just kind of holding your hand open, like a little podium there for your phone. Well, I was thinking it's more so my left hand than my right hand because my right hand don't bend all the way. Or rotate all the way. Yeah, but so your right like, hand is also what you're using to move and scroll on the phone. Well, that's true. It's what you're using to offer your body to the phone and sacrifice. <laughs> <and worship. laughs> I'm getting rid of that then. <laughs> our cell phones have become such a weird part of our everyday lives, but that's what it is. Regardless of the fact, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're not here to oh. hear about Aaron and his cell phone bathroom things. Oh, that's okay. Which <laughs> is weird, but anyways... Well, <laughs> not wrong. <laughs> I know I'm not wrong. <laughs> so anyways, we're doing, like I said, chapter six and seven. Um, again, John Cooper's book, Awaken Alive to Truth. Interestingly yeah. enough, it doesn't look like it's purchasable on Amazon anymore, except for the audiobook version. I don't know why that is. It just the way it is. Uh, the book is still available from his own personal site, johnlcooper.com where you can buy it. And if you do it in packs of more than five or more, you start getting discounts. So like, oh, wow. so like if your uh, group decided to read this book, yeah, you know, obviously you have your copy of the book, yeah. so you don't need that. But if everyone else needs a copy starting at packs of five, they offer discounts on the price. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So then you can do that or you can listen to John, read it to you on audible yes. in four hours of Cooper's glorious voice. I have not heard it yet, but it would to. be entertaining as all get out to, to do that. That being said, chapter six, I have a lot of notes on this one. I don't know about Aaron and his I'm notes just, levels. I'm terrible with notes still. <laughs> I love the title of this chapter. Love is not God. Correct. <laughs> and Aaron, Aaron took for a second. He was like, wait, what? <laughs> I already forgot. Yeah. So chapter six, love is not God. And I was like, oh, that that's a nice play on words of, you know, God is love. And he covers all that in here. So that's good. So I'm going to ask this. I'm going to try my best without 
interjecting my own thoughts in here, but we'll see how it goes. Hmm. What did you think of the chapter? Was there anything that stood out about this chapter to you, Mr. Johnson? And what, I mean, would, what would you say overall on this one? I mean, I just... I, oh, gosh, dang it. <laughs> I forgot to look that up. <laughs> um, What'd you forget to look up? Apostasy? Apostasy. Apostasy. Yeah. You don't know what apostasy means. From how I'm reading it, it's not a good thing. Yes. It's a bad thing. But I don't know what it is specifically. The abandonment or renunciation of a religious or political belief. Oh. It's the formal disaffiliation from abandonment of or renunciation of a religion by a person. Okay. So that's okay. Yeah. That's like the ultimate. Like, Embracing an opinion that is contrary to like a, a key religious tenant in that. Okay. So hopefully that fills in some of the gaps there. But anyways. Yeah. Chapter six. What did you think? What was on your mind? The what? divorce story was sad on the first page of chapter six. The divorce story. You yeah. want to give a little more context to that? It's sad. <laughs> Talking about a couple that had been married for years. They had kids. The husband was having an affair with another man. Right. And which one was already upsetting at the mention of, a, of for to me was upsetting. I was like, oh, there's an affair happening. Not good. But what I thought was weird was the wife not being, I guess, she's probably upset about it at first. I would imagine. I don't know. Maybe she wasn't. Cooper was stunned, shocked about this girl's reaction being happy for him while she was attempting to be happy for him. She said that if her husband had cheated on her with another woman, it would have been unforgivable. However, since it was just coming... He was just coming to terms with his truest self. She felt the loving uh, thing to do was accept him, support him, and even be happy for him. That's where I thought it was sad. Yeah. Because it's, I guess I don't like, I, don't know, I, I, I just I find it weird to be okay. Well, it's more accepting of this thing that it was, one wrong to do I've, yeah Ooh, how am i saying that it was wrong in the first place and i don't like how she's accepting of it more so because it's just because it was with another man and this being his true self kind of thing i don't know so i guess so was he not being true to himself when they got married then like I wonder, I, I'm, I'm honestly just curious about the story now. Is like, was that just that whole thing just fake then? Because that would be really upsetting to me. That that personally, is, that is a question that obviously we're not going to be able to get answered from this book and without no. knowing that, you no. know. And I'll say this historically, you know, people, you know, for you know, they're are gay or whatever. Mm-hmm. There are have been historically there have been documented stories where people will try getting married. And say, oh, this will satiate me. This will fix me, right. or whatever. And then they eventually just give in to their desires. And then mm-hmm. he found his true self that way, quote unquote. Yeah, it, like like you said, I was like, yeah, that that is that is sad. You know, uh, on the fact that a not only did infidelity in the marriage occur, you know, uh-huh. b 
it was with an, another person of the same gender. But C, she was like, oh, I'm trying to be happy for him. I'm like, hold on. What? <laughs> that that yeah. made me stop for a second. I was like. Yeah, that really threw me. Through. And, and it's really telling to me about it because she says if it had been with another woman, she would be upset. She would be mad. Uh, She'd be angry. Unforgivable. It'd be unforgivable. But because it was with another guy and he was finding his true self, she was trying to be supportive and loving to him. And then all of a sudden she's like, no, I'm trying to be happy for him because of this. I'm like, Mm-mm. what? And I like John's question here. He brings up a really good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, does allowing someone to break a vow because their sexual appetites have changed sound like love to you? Mm, I mean, I would say no. <laughs> right. And I would agree there. I would say no, that that's not loving. It's not, you know, fully truth either. It's something that I think is hard. Unfortunately, it's becoming a lot more common, I think, in our current culture as the loving quote unquote thing to do. And I was like, yeah, not, I don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't call that loving to uh, just allow a person out of the vow. Now I get it. Why this person is going like, I'm being happy for them because that's what society and culture says she should be right for them. Yeah. Because he's yeah. finally true to himself and he can be happy. Finally. Like, yeah. no, <laughs> uh-uh. So, I mean, that was right off the get-go. I was just like, whoa! Um, I mean, but I mean, that was a lot of this book anyways. Yeah, I don't know. I have yeah, that, you are right. John does like to start every chapter with like a little story that grabs your attention right away. Right, yeah. And he knows his ADHD audience. <laughs> I suppose so. So, the next thing I have was on 68. Yeah. The thing that, I don't whatever I wrote down was, I don't need to tell him. He knows it, and that's being talking about um, being told "I love you" kind of thing, or like a father to a son, right? Which I don't know. I was trying to look back from from for me. I, was, I definitely know I've had to have heard that a fair amount for me growing up. Um, <laughs> I'd say that probably increased as the time went on. I think or it's just I don't remember it as much as when I was a kid mm-hmm. but I know what happened when I was a kid but I was just thinking about that because it's like yes I would say it's very important for a father to say to either of his kids especially if he has a little girl I don't know for whatever reason it's like yes but I guess that's what the mentality of you know you just help grow your son be a tough guy whatever macho man but that's stupid to some degree mm-hmm. but i was thinking because like you don't necessarily always have to say it though that can make it easier for someone to accept for sure but then you can also have those fathers that will say that but based on their actions, it's like, but do you really though? Right. So, you know, when you see like, if you have a father that is always working hard to, you know, keep the family going and provide for the family and he's doing his best to take care of you and stuff like that, like that should speak for him to some degree, but obviously it's good to verbalize that. I was thinking. 
Yeah, and like I remember my own dad, you know, it wasn't, I don't take this in the negative context at all mm-hmm. against him, but that definitely was not something that he said often. Right. It was more along the lines of, uh, he was definitely a, I'm going to show it in my actions sort of uh, uh, deal, you mm-hmm. know? And, and don't get me wrong, there have been times when I have, kind of resented that in the past you know yeah kind of been like what the heck you know especially losing my dad at 14 you know there there are definitely times when i being honest i felt gypped in a way Mm -hmm. you're like what the heck i didn't get all that time with my dad that's what therapy was for (laughs) and helping me overcome something right and learning how to do that properly and that and it helped me realize you know some of the things that you know he, he did like i remember one time i Oh, geez. I had to be like four, maybe five. I had chicken pox, you know, the disease every kid gets. Yeah. And it, it was near the end of the chicken pox where I was just starting to get better. I still had, you know, the, the pox everywhere, the scabs everywhere. Mm-hmm. I remember being covered in paste all the time. For, <laughs> yep. For, you know, the yep. anti-itch and all that. Mm-hmm. But I remember he... It's one memory that like sticks on my head still is where he took off of work for lunch, like a longer lunch. And it was a garage he owned, so he could take off whenever he wanted. It wasn't mm. like he reported to when He owned the garage, so he oh. could do whatever he wanted. Uh, but any, obviously, time away is lost money because then he's not fixing cars for clients mm. and that. But I remember he you know, picked me up out of our trailer because we lived in a trailer at the time. Yeah, I was trailer trash when I was younger. <laughs> 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 my gosh <laughs> trailer tra- my folks trailer so. trash in north carolina yeah Woo-hoo. I, oh. <laughs> so you know he picked me up and then we went and got mcdonald's and then sat on like a boat launch like over a boat launch and had and had lunch mm-hmm. it wasn't anything crazy wasn't anything special but it was out of the ordinary you were so much so that I remember it very clearly it that happening. You know, it was a special time, you know. So he was definitely more the show it, not say it type mm-hmm. father. He was definitely that. He was the, you know, the guy that John calls out that, you know, where the guys don't talk about their emotions or mm-hmm. love or anything like that. And, you know, that it that well, was him. And yeah. I think I've, in my own life because of that, because of how I saw how my dad was. And again, don't take this as like I resent him or anything mm-hmm. like that. But that, I think that's why, you know, I, I make it clear to those in my life that I will say, hey, I love you. I care mm-hmm. for you. Because I want to make sure it's not only am I showing it through my actions, but I also want them to hear it so that they believe it. So that, that's, why I, that's why I tell you, man, I tell you I love you all the time. Because mm-hmm. I do. You are a brother to me. Mm-hmm. I want to see the best for you. I want to see what's good for you. I want to see you succeed and I want to see you prosper. Mm -hmm. And there are things that I do that, that, you know, you know, that to, to show that, but at the same time, I tell you, Hey, I love you, man. Cause I, I want you to never be at a point where you ever and this is just my internal thinking on this mm-hmm. obviously nothing in the book here, but I, I don't want you to ever be at a point where you're like, well, no one cares. Right. You know, I want you to at least know that there is someone out there that does care. Mm-hmm. 
because sometimes it is real easy to forget the activities that someone will do that show that they love you and care for you. But it's really hard to forget those words, especially when you're in a bad place. Yeah. I know that from personal experience and that's why maybe I overcompensate a little bit on that department. Right. It is what it is, you know? Yeah. Well, not thinking, I mean, there's, remember having a discussion with a, a coworker I used to have and where you can even look at like even some of those actions that people do. It's like, especially if you're in a bad mindset, you can easily view those actions too as things like, Oh, they're just doing this in hope of getting something in return at some point anyway. Right. Sort of deal too. So, I mean, yeah, the words can really just add an extra, an extra amount of like confirmation, I guess, onto, onto it. But so yeah, I thought like I was thinking about that. I was like, because yes, that I would yeah, again, I think it's very important to do, but also it's like, well, obviously something there's the whole phrase of action speak louder than words. And mm-hmm. so it's like even if that's not something you hear often, it's like try and look back and say, like, well, what are what have they done through their actions for me and stuff like is it are they doing things for me? Are they trying to are they showing love towards me and how they live and go about their life? And it's like, well, mm, thankfully in my case, I can easily say yes. <laughs> I know and there's, unfortunately there's a lot of other cases where that might not be the case, but yeah. Um, yeah and and, and then it, even then words aren't, can be useless then too at times. <laughs> Cause like, it, do you even mean it? And John does, you know, kind of, you know, let's talk about the friv- frivolousness of the mm. use of the word love sometimes where oh, yeah. it's like you can't go into a gas station without seeing the word love everywhere yeah. <laughs> you know? just like an advertisement for some kind of whatever yeah it's over overused for sure for sure i should say yep like he says when you end a workout session your instructor tells you to stretch to show your body some love yeah <laughs> love is what makes a subaru a subaru <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe how they got that or came up with that slogan it, it, or whatever. It worked. It worked. People got Subarus. True. Yep. I'm trying to think of where my mind really was when I wrote this part down, but okay. this was also for 68, and I think this is probably towards more of the bottom. Oh, um, furthermore, we understand that it separates how wonderful and different God is to humans because we do not naturally have the capacity to truly love someone perfectly and without condition. And that's where it's talking about the agape love, the unconditional love. And I always think about that, like, you know, you'll hear people, and I guess this is why it makes me upset because in my note, I come to get upset and then I have in parentheses ish, probably because I had a little bit of a change of mind in the, like right in the moment. When people claim to love someone no matter what. Because mm-hmm. again, yeah, one, I feel like the word is tossed around and used so much where it's lost its meaning. And I mean, people will say that to one another all the time. But at the end of the day, it becomes something still very conditional. Right. Where there is a point, and there is a point where some people, We'll break down and be like, I forget you kind of thing. And obviously, I guess there are cases, though, where it's 
I guess you have to let someone go also if that I guess and I guess that's if the relationship is that bad. Um depending on if the, the relationship is really having a negative impact on your well being kind of thing. At right. some point it's like you can't force yourself. You shouldn't force yourself to stay in a relationship of any sort, I suppose. But then there is the whole thing, I guess, unless you're, this is someone you're getting married to and you hit some (laughs) rocky spots. That is until the whole, till death do you part. Till death do you part thing. Yep. So, I mean, till something, that's why I I guess now also thinking back back on that, it's like people can make that commitment and hopefully stick with it. I suppose if they get that far. Having agape love is hard for people. Oh, absolutely. Because we are so conditional. We are very conditional, and like John even points out, it's emotional sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, what is his phrase here? It's on page 68. It is a love not based on emotion. Therefore, it doesn't fade with bad behavior, nor does it burn brighter with good behavior. Mm-hmm. It is self-sacrificing love. That is really hard, especially if someone does something that just makes you fully upset, and you're like, I am not going to love that kid no matter what anymore. <laughs> his behavior and what he did, he can dig his own grave. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I know that's directed at me. <laughs> that is not directed at you, but, but no, yeah. that is a hard love to have. And that does separate us from God in that point, because God will, you know, he's able to do that perfectly. We, we will sometimes, even if we say, Hey, this is how, what we're going to do, you know, even in like a marriage context or whatever mm-hmm. and say, he till death do his part. And sometimes, well, let's look at our divorce rates. Not the mm. best in the world right now. Yeah. We don't stick by that. And we say, no, this is too hard. I, My emotions do not into it. I need to go now. Bye. Yeah. Well, say when you talk about divorce rates, was um, it even says that in the page 69, where at least at the time of writing, it says the current rate of divorce is 42 to 46%. Yeah, which yes. is actually about is down a little bit from fifty percent, which is interesting. Down from oh, well, I mean, he doesn't have it in this book here. Oh, uh, previous numbers to this to when he wrote his book, it was hovering around fifty percent. Oh wow! So it's down a little bit. And He does say it is down a little bit. Uh, okay. He does say it has declined in recent years, but still pretty high. That's not good. But then he says marriage rates are at a steep decline. Of marriage rates themselves, yeah. So, you know, if you're not getting married, your divorce rates are naturally going to go down because there's no marriages to get divorced from. Right. There's just couples that get together and then live with each other for a while and then separate. Uh, did you see the decline rate of marriages? In- I don't remember what they are. So in 1960, marriage was about 72%. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's down yeah. to 50% in 2017. Yeah, it's bad. So... Only half of adults are married, and yet we still have a forty-two to forty-six percent divorce rate. That's not the best. That's not not so great. Which, and then I guess, well, yeah, for me, it's um. Oh, (laughs) my comment, I guess, was for page sixty-nine is no, we don't love each other more. (laughs) I would say we are more selfish. Uh, is that in reference to? Oh, that's in reference to a question he asked. He says, "Does but does this mean we're more?" We're more loving as a society. The bottom of 68 under the top of 69. Uh, says, are we falling or are we failing at love? And then, so he goes on to say, trying 
to measure whether or not society is more loving now than two generations ago might seem simple if you only look at emotions and sentimentality. Man, oh wow, look at that. We're quicker to say I love you and quicker to try and accept others out of love. We try to show love to ourselves, even if sometimes fail. But and then the question comes in, but does this mean we're more loving as a society? And I, and uh, of course, then he leads with the whole the marriage and divorce right. rates and stuff. So, so it's like mm, declining so, birth rates. So what he tries to do then is he tries to say, hey, are we more loving as a society? Let's look at some uh some data points statistics here and he the first one obviously the marriage and divorce thing right yep i found it interesting here from a 2019 poll and under marriage and divorce he says that nearly two-thirds of americans 65 percent, say society is just as well off if people have priorities other than marriage and having children this is up from 57 percent who said this in 2016 Mm -hmm. so in just three years that went up eight percent yeah. And then he says modern Americans prioritize their own careers over participation in the age old institution, one that brings stability to society and produces the next generation. Yeah, it's kind of an important thing. I was like, wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. On that, you know, thing. And and he does say, you know, people say they don't get married being maybe just their financial situations more interesting in their career, their marriage, yeah. or maybe some not being able to find the right partner, which in modern America or modern society with how many millions of people there are that find that really hard to believe that they can't find someone. Yeah. But at the same time, I believe it. Right. Just because of how busy life can be as well as just the craziness of people out there. Well, so I, mean, I would say we don't take the time or we don't aren't able to find the time to go out and actually look for somebody. Yeah. And so I, either words, yeah, we're so busy with work where it's like, we don't, we can't do it. Or as we again, get so focused on how oh, we got to do this and do this and do this to keep going on in your career or whatever it may be, where it's just like, eh, don't worry about it a spouse or anything like that and just never get around to it. Or if you are kind of looking a little bit, I mean, it's only so much you can do with a little bit amount of time. Mm -hmm. So it's like, eh, I can see the chances go down if you're not really putting, I guess that's hard to judge um, how much time you should put into it. Yeah. How much time are you putting into it? Johnson? Um, A great amount of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Man. Yeah, that's scary. I don't know. That's, that's, uh, that's funny because as I was reading that a little bit, I was like, man. And, and I was like, I don't even know if I want to though myself either. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. Part of me is like, I don't want to, but they're all for, my own, I mean, I have my own excuses, which more often than not are pretty pathetic excuses, but they're my excuses nonetheless, dang it. And hopefully someday maybe I'll get over it. <laughs> hopefully. I want to embarrass you at your wedding. <laughs> no, 
no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's right. Did. Your bride will kill me, but, <laughs> so I can't. Nah. I'll wait till after the wedding. <laughs> You'd probably have a better chance of her dying of laughter than her getting mad at you. So I would hope. I would probably hope if she's case. marrying you. Yeah. <laughs> but th- this, okay, and, and this is me just thinking out loud here. Yeah. I understand where John's trying to go with this marriage and divorce, but I'm, it's one of those things that when you took a, like a speech class, it's like you, you say what you're going to say, then you say it, then you say what you said. Right. Yeah. But all the things have to be linked. And I'm, I'm not sure if he really drove home the point for me about his question about, are we really more loving as society with his measurement of marriage and divorce? I, I, I would say with the divorce thing, yes, you, that would answer it. But then when he starts going to, well, why are there less marriages? I'm like, eh, I don't know if that, I don't know if that so much covers it, that answer. Oh, well, you I know, mean, answers that, that question. in and of itself, I mean, not if he was, if he was, fully, if he was stopped at the divorce part, part, I would have been like, yeah, okay, cool. Morgan. But I don't know. That's just me. And, yeah. and you, you're going to see a pattern here emerge with me here in a moment. Okay. So, so yes, he, so he talks about, Marriage, divorce, people not getting married. And this is birth rate. And then he says declining birth rate, which we've talked about before as well, mm-hmm. about the replacement rate and all that. I just love it. We are procreating less. I'm like, well, that's wonderful. And then goes into suicide rates and yeah. mental health issues. Is there and, anything in the declining birth um, rate? No. It's something that stuck out to me from there was where he quoted a research that says some research shows that couples believe that having children make people less happy. After all, how can you agape love yourself when you're too busy trying to agape love a child? And I just sat back and I was like, oh, that's entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the other reasons why people don't have kids, some of them are great. Some of them are good, you know, good reasons. Some of them are interesting reasons. You know, economic right. reasons. I'm like, yeah, I get it. If you can't afford to have a kid and you can't afford to take care of the kid, I understand it, right? Yeah, you'd think that'd almost be kind of irresponsible to try and force to happen. Yeah. You know, and, um, and then some of the other stuff like later marriages or no marriage. Okay, I get it if you're not married, not having kids, because uh, hey, you're especially if you're a Christian, you're you're doing the right thing. Yeah, unless you're adopting or stuff like that, and then yeah, have the kid. You know, adopt the kid. Yeah, and I've 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 heard. I mean, I, gosh, not. But it was from this. Oh, I have to talk to him again. But a friend of mine who, and he was, it has to do with a couple of friends. One friend was considering adoption. Okay. Um, at some point, and my other friend, well, I was at first. They wanted to clear up things and make sure, um. One, if this was something they're thinking about doing soon or down the line or whatever kind of thing. Um, but then also was he thinking, was this friend thinking about doing it as a single like parent kind of thing? Or would it be if he, when he finds a spouse and then gets married kind of thing? Cause his friend, not the friend that was considering the adopting. The f- so the one friend was, Oh my gosh, I'm screwing this up now. All right. Friend asked the friend that's considering adoption about all that stuff I was just saying. Okay. So the friend that was asking the questions has been adopted. Okay. 
And that's where, why, and that's why he was asking all these questions or whatever, how soon are you trying to do it on like your own being single? Cause from what I remember, he was saying he did not recommend doing it if you're doing it as a single parent, but that was just from his experience. As also, I believe. Yeah. Um, and obviously not for him to do it so soon, like make sure he was actually ready and at a point where he could con- like, you know, take care of, you know, a, a child kind of thing. Cause that's a huge it, responsibility it, a, to do. It's a huge responsibility. It's a huge commitment. That's why there's processes and paperwork and all this other mm-hmm. stuff that you have to go through to do that sort of thing. Yeah. So no, no, I always, I always wondered about that too. Cause I thought I was like, you know, you know, if, if you came to a point in your life where I mean you're stable enough, whatever, and mm-hmm. you wanted to take on the, uh, <laughs> I guess, challenge of adopting a kid, but you were single, I always wondered, like, is, is that a good idea to do or not? What would be wrong with doing it if you were stable enough? You were mm-hmm. able, like, your your schedule's flexible enough where you're able to take care of them and meet their needs. You're financially well off enough. You have health insurance. You have food. Yeah. You have appropriate housing for them. Yeah. What's, what's wrong with that? Well, and I guess and, I wonder at to what age you this child is that you're adopting too. Yeah, well, there's all these all these factors that come into yeah. play. Now, I understand there's the people that are going to be like, hey, you know, it's best if a child is raised with a mother and a father. I get that at a hundred percent that that is the case. That is the best case scenario raising a, a right. child. Unfortunately, you know, like you have my scenario with my mom and my dad. I was raised most of the time. I was raised, you know, my teenage years by my mom solo. Yeah. But, but there were other people who invested in my life, other adult males that invested in my life and helped out. And if you're going into this case where it's like, okay, I'm going to just, you know, let's say I ever decide to do that. You know, I'm 45. I'm like, I got a house. I got, you know, three bedroom house. I have enough flexibility in my work schedule. I have enough money to care for a kid, health insurance, yeah. all that. I adopt someone. I would know, I would need to be like, hey, uh, if mothers that I know, I need your help. Oh, right. To, yeah. To invest as, not as their mother, but as a, a female influence in their life, mm-hmm. especially if they're younger. If, and if they're a teenager, and especially like if it, you know, it's a teenage female, you know, a daughter, whatever, be like, you know what? I definitely need your advice on this stuff because guess what? I'm not, I'm not know any of this stuff. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, I can't answer this. You know, <laughs> but the same, you know, at the same time, yeah. and obviously I haven't been in that scenario. Okay. Right. But I would have to imagine one would rather be adopted and and maybe your friend that w- was like, don't do it if you're, you know, single. Maybe he had a bad mm-hmm. scenario or they had a bad well, and that's, situation. I, you know, I don't, yeah, and that's where I, I want I want to go back and now almost and talk to him about that. Because, I, I, I mean, yeah, I'm just curious for myself as to whether or not, like, coming from someone that was adopted, I mean, what are your thoughts and opinions on that? Because it sounded like he was, it sounded like he was saying, eh, probably not but i don't know if he was completely against it right it, it, don't get me wrong it's mm. not the most optimal solution right raising a kid solo mm. it, it's not it, it, it's mm. i can't even imagine how rough that must have been on your parents raising and there's two of them raising you <laughs> yeah, <I know>. okay <laughs> okay so can you imagine if it was just your dad no oh, jeez you oh. <laughs> 
she, I, you know, I don't want to know how many more years I would have taken off of his life. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there, there's stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I get it. But again, I would have yeah. to imagine. Right. right I'm right, saying right. I would have to imagine it'd be better to be in a family, even if it's just one parent, than right. in foster care or in a group mm-hmm. home. Or, and maybe I could be wrong because th- there are great foster care families out there where it's both a mom and a dad. I know someone from work who does that uh, and has three foster kids in his house. Okay. Along with his biological kids. You know, so there's there's a there's a nice mixture there. Right. But you know, and it's a good place. You know, so to take them from that to a single parent, it might not be the best scenario, but if it's uh like a group home without a good situation to a parent, eh, yeah, it might be. Right, absolutely. That one I cannot answer because guess what? I have never been in that scenario. Thank, yeah, same. Thankfully, yeah, same. Mm-hmm. thankfully. But I, w- I, I would say, you know, look, we're, you know what? Nope, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> okay, okay. I was, I was just thinking now. Another thing, situation that came to my mind is, I mean, you look at families that you know they loot. Well, I guess on like literally, and a case like yours, I mean, you lost your dad. At a very young age. So, I mean, yeah, think about those families that have lost one of their parents at either before they even knew who that, you know, their mother or father uh-huh. was at whichever one that ended up passed away or, you know, they did have some time, but then lost them at some point. It's like, I mean, there's families out there that have survived that way. So, I mean, yeah, it definitely can I, be done with I, being I, adoption, with I, adoption and stuff. But. I look at my cousin's kid, right? Mm-hmm. My cousin committed suicide a week, a couple days, not even a week, a couple days before his first birthday. Yeah. He has never known his father. Yeah. And he's been raised by his mother alone. Mm. You know, so when I think of those things, I do think of people like that, that I know at the same time, you know, people like my cousins, uh, my cousin's brother, brothers, you know, they've intervened to be male role models in his life. Yeah. And that's what has to happen. And that is part of the beauty of the church as well is when mm-hmm. you have family members like that, you in, get others and inject them in. You know, I, right. I, I remember, I've, I I feel bad I can't remember his name. Uh, when I was in high, yeah, high school, you know, he would have me over at his house, you know, we'd have dinner, we'd, he tried to show me how to work on a car. I never picked that up, <laughs> you know, but, you know, yeah. you know, but stuff like that, you know, that he tried to be that male role model influence in my life because he knew I didn't have that at home. Mm. And that was from the church. And I was like, well, this is awesome. Yeah. I still feel real bad. I can't remember his name. <laughs> wow. I don't know why I forgot his name. Well, you'll figure it out someday. Yeah. Someday. <laughs> but yeah, so all that there, I was like, all right, cool. And then, he has this little thing on suicide rates. I think my notes are longer than his suicide rate. Oh, I can, yeah. <laughs> I believe that 100%. <laughs> you know, again, because he's asking the question, he's using each of these as data points into his question of, does this show we are more loving or not, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, he brings up some data. You know, the last 17 years, the rates of suicide have risen by 40%. Boy, it has risen. By 40 or up to 40? Has risen 40%. 
In other words, it's risen by 40%. In other words, it's not at 40%. It's risen by 40%, right? And he goes, seems odd for a society that believes in agape love for ourselves, doesn't it? Okay. Mm -hmm. This is probably the biggest one where I go, I disagree with John on his point. I know where he's trying to go, but I'm not, I'm not like in full agreement, but I'm also not to the point where I'm like, I'm going to bash John over the head with. It's one of those things where there could be definitely more added into this topic. Yeah. So, you know, suicidal ideation, that's the clinical terminology for wanting to commit suicide. Hmm. Uh, You know, that's what I was diagnosed with at one point. Mm -hmm. It isn't always about loving yourself or not. It isn't. In my case, it was, well, it was and is a physiological disorder. I have a chemical imbalance in my brain. Mm -hmm. It seems simple to say that now, but at at the time, time, completely different, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it it, it manifested itself in mental anguish and pain, Uh, not seeing the bigger picture. I was focused very much on the future and the bad of the future and the past and the bad of the past and those two collided in fact i didn't even take into consideration the present Hmm. it was it was very bad you know like i said i get what john's trying to get at here Mm -hmm. but it's more of an emotional love in that regard it's not an agape love because when you're in that state of mind you're very much running on emotions oh absolutely you're not caring about what is true i could hear that truth from Andy, from you, from Pastor Dave, yeah. I, I could hear it left, right, center, all day long, 24 hours, seven days a week, on repeat, on loop, in stereo. Mm-hmm. I could hear that, and you guys try to convince me of that. But, uh, and But uh, my brain was not in an emotional state to handle it. So I disagree with, first off, him just using just a short little blurb, like, two sentences it feels like because he likes run-ons um, <laughs> but Fair. i do too so i'm not dis- dissuade mm-hmm. you know just whatever but I, at the same time i'm like I, I don't fully agree with that as being part of your statistical analysis for saying that we have less love for ourselves in america Th- that's just me hmm. I, I again i'm it's not to the point where i want to be like john you are wrong Boom, bang him over the head with his own oh, book. No, yeah. I just disagree. I'm like, I, I don't see that as part of it because and I don't know if he himself has ever dealt with anything like that because mm-hmm. he doesn't really cover that. No. You know, he, he covers talk, sometimes where he says he was, you know, slightly depressed on some areas and that. Okay. Right. I, I get that. We've all been, we've all been there, you know, where we have moments of doubt, where we have moments of depression, sadness, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if he's ever been to that point of suicidal ideation where it's a completely different mindset than your average daily life. And it, 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 your brain works. You're thinking things completely differently where every little thing is either an offense or it's neglect or it's hate. You're not even thinking about anything about people doing good. It's a crazy mindset to look at in hindsight, 2020, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say it 
it's anything with love, I would say it's all emotional distress at that time. That's just my little soapbox. <laughs> you know, little, little soapbox. No, yeah, that's, that's, that was a good point. And then that, of course, leads right into his mental health issues segment. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, how am I going to get into this? <laughs> yeah. But anything stand out from you for you in this one? Well, not if you've got more on this page, let me see here what I did. Um, oh, uh, that was the main quote. And, um, but then there's also another thing at the bottom of page 71 where it's talking about how, like, the things that we've heard uh, said a lot that are not like good coming from the church, but the one was, uh, God loves me just as I am is one I've, I think I've heard the most. Okay. It was that. And then it was like the main quote on the page. Uh, less people are getting married. Less people are having children. More people are committing suicide and mental health problems are on the rise. And then there's, yeah, does it seem like we are <laughs> a society growing in love? And then overall, I would still say no though. <laughs> right. I, I would agree with that. You know, I, I wouldn't use yeah. those metrics necessarily, but I agree with it. I see where he's trying to go with his statements. I see where he's trying to go with his arguments. I didn't think it was the best argument, the most um, put together argument. And I, suppose, yeah. I, and, I, and I get it. But at the same time, I think there might have been a little bit better one. But, you know, it's also hard to measure that. that that's one of those hard things to measure. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is hard to say because it's one of those things where, there, I mean, there's so many different scenarios with mental health and suicide stuff where it's like you can't just clump it all into one right thing. And, and you have to remember during this time that this book came out, mm-hmm. COVID was part of the the zeitgeist the 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 worry of the world Mm -hmm. it was causing people to lose their jobs lose money it it was bad right you know and and i like that he brought in some statistics on the mental health side of things where he says between 2012 and 2017 major depressive episodes increased from 8.66 percent to 13.01 percent of youth Mm -hmm. in ages 12 to 17 that, yeah. That's a quite a significant jump, right? Yeah, it is. But he also said 56% of Americans reported worry or stress related to the pandemic and led to at least one negative mental health effect. Hmm. That's over 50% of Americans. That's crazy. That's, that's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, but the next number was even crazier. There was the, an 891% oh. increase in calls to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration line which provided counseling for people facing emotional distress during times of natural and human caused disasters. Mm. Yeah. That's a huge increase. Right. Man. And and then his one uh, thing in here, and it's, you know, it's in this mental health issue segment, the chaos of our time has caused many to live without any peace. I agree with the statement. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the measurements, you know, like the suicide one, I don't fully agree with. Sometimes, yet yeah, love is related to mental health issues. Sometimes it is biological. I agree that the increase during the times of the pandemic, um, they're probably more of an emotional trigger or anything, you know, and stuff like that. 
But so with his uh, mental health and suicide, I said, I'd probably say I'm 45% disagree, 55% agree. Mm. You know, it, it's a fine balancing act and I get it. It's not going to be perfect. So I'm not going to fault him. He's not uh, expert level theologian. He's keeping this at layman's term, but mm. I, I will say I do disagree with some of what John said in this. And I was like, all right, that's, mm. that's, that's, that's fine. And I don't think he would be insulted if anyone said they disagreed with him slightly. Well, let's find out. <laughs> let's shoot him a message. You have no idea that I was going to do that already. You already did that, didn't you? No, I haven't yet. Oh, <laughs> I figured you already did. Dang. Nope. Oh, okay. But you're going to, though. Yeah. We'll see if we get a response. I doubt it, but we'll see. You never know. Maybe we'll, I'll, we'll, maybe catch him on a uh, less busy time. <laughs> I, I don't know what they're up to right now, but. Probably writing new music already. We'll, we'll find we'll find this house. We'll walk up and knock on Yeah, the let's door. not do that. <laughs> think think he'd be mad. <laughs> I don't think catch so. him without his mascara, he'll be <laughs> upset. <laughs> oh my god. John will be like, no, hi, see- I need my mascara. He <laughs> can't see my age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, considering he's like almost fifty, if not fifty, yeah. That's incredible though. Man, I don't I love you, John? <laughs> I don't mean any of this in an ill manner. <laughs> There'll be no videos or photos of you without mascara. Yeah. <laughs> um, <but laughs> that, me, le- that leads you right into so okay. So you like the quote less that less people are getting married, less people are having children, yeah. more people are committing suicide, and mental health problems are on the rise. Mm-hmm. Does it seem to show we are a society growing in love? Uh, no, I agree with that. You know, and. I, I don't a hundred percent agree with the, how he got there, the, the yeah. measurements, but mm-hmm. I agree with the overall conclusion that he got to mm-hmm. something like, okay, that that's fun. Yeah. And then he talks about how do we measure love? Yeah. Did you and, have anything under this segment? Well, it was a thing where I guess it was kind of like that second to last, uh, paragraph where even in the church, we get it wrong. We create our, own idea of God's love. Tell, tell me if this sounds familiar. In which the first couple didn't uh, to me, but anywho, whatever pleases us most, whatever is most self-serving, whatever fulfills our desires must be what God wants for us if he really loves us. I know that I've been guilty of this. Have you? Question mark. Um, for instance, we may say, this is my sexual desire. And if God truly loves me, then he is okay with my desire. It might be absurd, uh, but it doesn't seem to happen all but doesn't it seem to happen all the time? We justify all sorts of behavior saying God loves me just as I am. And it's that last part, the God loves me just as much as I am, is something mm-hmm. I've I feel like I've heard. I can't say I've really ever heard the other stuff like where um he must uh, be okay with it because it's what I want, sort of deal. See, and I have heard that. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. I, um, not, 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 <clears throat> not from any churches around here, personally. Okay. For example, one of my roommates in college, mm-hmm. uh, he got married shortly after college to a woman. He went out with her to New York to to do ministry out there. Eventually, they got divorced because she. Like um, the person at the beginning of the book, mm. want to have a marriage with another woman. 
So she got married oh. to another woman and is uh I forget exactly if she's like what what her title is, but you know, she's like a pastor at one of the churches out there in New York. So female pastor married to another woman, you know, and and, and she does the whole thing of you know, what because this fulfills her it, this must be what God has designed for her. I have heard that from this person. And in a way, you know, the whatever pleases us most, it, it's people don't say that directly, but what they're going to say is, well, this is what my natural desire is. This is how I was born. This is, I was born no. this way. Why would God make me this way if it wasn't to do this? Mm-hmm. Without realizing that at times the things that we want come out of our own heart, which we know from the Bible is deceptively wicked, which is evil. Mm-hmm. It's going to have those desires, which are contrary to what God has for us. God tells us what he wants. It's in the Bible. It's pretty clear actually. And, you yeah. know, and people try to manipulate it and say, well, you know, when Paul wrote these words in the new Testament, he really didn't mean this. He really meant these other things and, you know, manipulation. And I can pull examples out of everywhere on this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to play them now because copyright, I will get struck down with copyright <laughs> left and right and not going to do it. I, I will say, <laughs> I, I will post a link to uh, a video that, again, I'm liking this Mike Winger guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he did a, a rebuttal to a pastor who basically went way off the reservation on things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because you know what's what's current in culture right now is this whole thing of the like, social justice warrior and everything and this pastor was like well Jesus had to repent of his sin because of these things he wanted to make this whole thing like oh Jesus had to learn and repent of his whiteness and all that sort of stuff it was amazing how when he Jesus, twisted that oh he wanted gosh. to turn Jesus into this thing that he wanted which was this social justice warrior type person as well and I was just like, wow, that is amazing how you can manipulate the scriptures like that. Wow. And the thing is, sadly, there are people at his church that do this. There was another one I saw recently, and they were doing a rebuttal against this video, and it was quite um, scary. You know, it was, I think it was a Methodist church. Mm. You know, so there's two kids sitting on the stage wearing masks, of course. And this is real recent here you know, and the pastor there, and he's interviewing a seminary student. The seminary student is in their drag outfit. And they're saying, well, this is what pleases me most. Therefore, this must be good because this that must mean this is what God wants for me. And I just sat there and was like, um, excuse me, what? Mm. So, yeah, I have heard these oh, man. things. Now, they don't say, you know, what's self-serving. You know, they go, whatever I like. And if I like it, God must be giving it to me. Therefore, it's good. Therefore, God must like it. No. Oh, man. Gosh. Well, I guess probably won't be. Well, besides this time now, I'm sure I'll be starting to see that a lot more and more as time goes on. It's funny how every time we talk about certain things, all of a sudden you start noticing it. A lot more. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So it, it's it one of those things of, you. it's not that you haven't seen it. it I haven't been a, observant to it, I guess. Yeah. The whole thing of God loves me just as I am, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, he loves you where you are and all your messed up and disgustingness. Mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, I guess it's the point where you don't just stay where you are and think that that's okay or that he's okay with you doing whatever. Yeah, I guess as you were just talking about pleases you, what makes you what you've been so, I guess, that you're inclined to like and all that stuff. It's, I mean, he's. Right. Yeah. So what I wrote here for my notes, I Mm -hmm. said, yes, this is true. God loves me just as I am. Okay. Mm -hmm. God does love us regardless. I get what John's going after here. He is going after the idea that whatever we want to do, be it against what the Bible says, even as long as it makes us happy, then God must love me and in turn it. You know, that's that's what he's saying when he goes, God loves me just as I am, and yeah. that's why it's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I like this here. One man's love is another person's injustice. He touches yes. on this in a little yeah. bit later where yeah. he talks about, uh, I forget his exact example, but I think it was like, you know, if one man's murder or something like that, and then the the victim. Mm-hmm. You know, which, which one is the loving thing? And, and I did say he touches on this later, but yeah, one man's love can be another person's injustice. Yeah. And that's like the thing I find so funny is with all these people saying, I oh, just, you know, do you do you kind of thing. And, you know, everybody can just, I guess that's where the whole thing becomes. Was it, would that be like the whole relativistic? If I even said that right. Um, Mm -hmm. But whereas I'll do whatever makes me happy, you can do whatever makes you happy. But it's like if everyone literally just did whatever makes them, I mean, as you just said, pretty much right there, you know, it's going to make somebody upset. And then you're just going to have all sorts of chaos and stuff like that really quickly if everyone was just able to do whatever the heck they wanted to do. Because, yeah, what you want to do is going to, infringe on somebody else's thing nightmare right and uh so the examples he used and they're on page 73 and they're extreme examples right yeah the first one i read i was like wait did i just read that in the book here (laughs) um so he goes do we show our love for the unrepentant child molester by letting him off the hook for his actions because he was being his truest self who who will give justice i.e show love to the abused then he goes, does the man who steals from the poor escape punishment? What about the victimizer who preys on the weak? Should we demand justice for those great evils? Of course we should. No honest person would disagree. I'm like, yeah, those are pretty extreme examples that he's yeah. given there, but he's trying to drive that point home Yeah, with that. Well, I mean, you look at some of the stuff that's happening now, though, with the catch and release stuff. It'll start where it's at now, but eventually... It's going to get worse. I can only imagine it getting worse, I should say. Right. If people that are committing crimes, I can't, I don't know what the worst crime that's happened with the catch and release person right now. Okay. But the fact that that's like happening, uh, no. <laughs> it's, and then I guess also, I mean, you, I guess this could go into so many other different rabbit holes and stuff but i mean i guess to my mind it's like you mean you look at all these politicians obviously there's dirt 
in some of these people's pasts or stuff that's going on possibly currently that would be horrific if known to the public but to them it's acceptable to some point as long as they can get away with it (laughs) right it's like so it's i mean the evil is there at any level so it's like to hear him talk about how you know at some well yeah you're gonna let some guy go for being a child molester well yeah i mean i guess you can look at the whole minor attractive persons thing like at some point that's just going to be more accepted at least that's what they're shooting for so i mean some of the extremes it's like it yeah it sounds extreme but it starts very small so i mean even the fact that i mean it's (laughs) to some point on that and you know, in that heading in that direction with how things are now, it's like, don't be surprised if it happens. Mm-hmm. Right. I, but yeah. And that's why I, I do to one point, one degree hate extremes, but then it's like, I mean, you, you never think the extreme thing is going to happen. Of course you don't. Cause it's, you, you don't expect it until it does. And then you're flabbergasted when it does happen. You're like flabbergasted. How could this have happened? Well, it just happened slowly. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Yes, I agree. That loves me just as I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next, the thing is, he goes right from that, right? Mm-hmm. Right to his next sentence. We often apply our, our, our ideas of fairness to God's love. Mm. And then what is the example he uses about the whole idea that God can't send anyone to hell because God is love? Because if God loves you, how can he send someone to punishment and torment mm-hmm. and and i've seen this logic chain before and it's a very popular logic chain that's I've, out there yep you know and the logic chain goes essentially like this and he goes this is a childish logic i'm like yeah it pretty much is the the logic is god is love hell is bad love isn't bad god wouldn't allow someone to go to hell mm. there are actual preachers out there preach that that do that uh if you remember do you remember those numa DVDs. Okay. Not I don't Numa sounds kind of oddly familiar, but uh, yeah, they Rob Bell, the pastor with the glasses and the oh geez, the blonde hair and that. He he was one of those pastors that eventually has gone on to this whole, you know, yeah, hell doesn't exist or God can't send someone to hell type thing. And I was just like, it's clearly you're not reading your Bible too well. Well. Yeah, Rob Bell in and of himself, he's gone off on the deep end. Mm-hmm. I, I, I went to the church a couple times when he was still uh, preaching there. Surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, the name of that church was also Mars Hill. Mm. That should have been a sign. <laughs> Hello? Hello? I mean, you, I mean, you only have to look at one or two we should, verses we're talking Matthew together. 7. It's, it's somewhere in Matthew 7. Um, okay. Or, you know, Jesus says, you know, they will say, call to me, Lord, Lord, or whatever. But, you know, he'll say, I I never knew you kind of thing. Depart from me kind of thing. Right. So it's like the fact that that can happen to someone that claims that they're a believer and they've done things in his name and stuff like that. Obviously, you can't fool Christ himself and he knows better. Um, it's just like, 
yeah, people, the hell is real. Then people are going to be going there or are going there. And it just, it's, it's in the Bible, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how much easier that needs to be. Yeah. Be to be clear. The the one note I made here was this chain of logic here mm-hmm. forgets the important thing. God is holy. Holiness can't have sin in it. Mm-hmm. So that's what this whole chain forgets. And I love then, you know, John does say being loved does not exclude being holy. Mm-hmm. So I, I wrote down my note before I read John's lovely little statement. It might have still been in my head from the previous time I read it. So mm-hmm. I was like, whoo. But then he goes, his example of that. It just made me write, oh, John. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what his example was? No. No, no, no. That he can be both white and male. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, John. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, of course. Of course. Way to go. <laughs> and he summarizes it perfectly with this. We must never fall into the mistaken idea that one of God's attributes can cancel out another. Mm. In other words, love cannot cancel out holiness and holiness cannot cancel out love. One is not more important than they are. They're both of equal importance. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then John continues on going down through this uh, lovely thing about the, we don't worship love and all that Mm -hmm. with a few other things that made me laugh. And made me think of Wayne from Letter Kenny. Oh. <laughs> I'll get to those in a moment unless you have something. The only other thing I have is I have written down for the paragraph before God's extravagant love. I mean, I guess I'll reread that then real quick. The This ball of light can never break the power of sin over your life, but rather it endorses the sin in your life. Why? Because if this ball of light loves you as you want it will never bring discipline <laughs> will never bring discipline or correction it cannot satisfy justice therefore in one sense you would be living in personal freedom but it's a personal freedom that makes you a slave to destruction right so oh. so this ball of light thing that you're referencing Mm -hmm. what john's doing is he's taking you through this exercise and he starts with for a moment imagine love do not imagine the god of the bible imagine a bright shining ball of light that is love that's the ball that he's referring to at the start of that Mm. uh sentence there true yeah and i was like yep that's true uh what made me uh, think of letter kenny was example on page 73 he says Imagine your child wants to take his crayons and colors into the middle of a busy street. And I just thought, oh, Wayne would be like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> I hate kids. Yeah, pretty much. And John goes, would you allow him to? Of course not. What if he says that playing in the street is the only thing that makes him happy and accuses you of being an unloving parent if you allow it, if you disallow it? Would you then say, okay, I'll let you do it because I love you? Hardly. Why? Because keeping your kid safe is love. Mm. What about the parent who refuses to discipline their kids? The Bible says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives, Hebrews 12, 6. If we as parents refuse to discipline our kids to help show them how to live, to keep them safe and save them from harm, sin, and themselves, then do we actually love them? Mm. I was like, yep, 
That is essentially what he's getting at is justice requires love and sometimes discipline is love, even though we might not like it. No, that makes me think that proverb you even shared with me. Better is open rebuke than rebuke. hidden love. And hidden love. Yes. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was all chapter six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and now chapter seven. Chapter seven here. Chapter seven title is tear down your idols. Again, he opens with a story that I really enjoyed Him yeah. being confused with an art musician. And then he said he couldn't take the words and emotions given to him and then use them because they were not about him. And he, yeah. he was confused for uh Jacoby from Papa Roach. Jacoby or Jacoby. Sorry. Jacoby from Papa Roach. And I was just like, wow, that's so <laughs> funny. I would have, <laughs> I didn't, I can't, I was, I was trying to imagine. I was like, how do you confuse John Cooper from skill with Jacoby? I was like, they don't look that alike. Do they? But I mean, I guess if they're both, you know, black hair, white males and got makeup on, if they did, I don't know. Maybe I could give it to him from a quick glance. I, I could give it to her. Yeah. Cause it was a she. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And I loved his reactions. Like, well, he's like, her cheeks turned bright pink. I'm sure mine did too. Yeah. And we snapped that awkward, awkward photo. photo. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. In the end, the story had nothing to do with me. She didn't even know me. She loved me because she thought I was someone else. And then I love his question. How important is it that we're able to recognize God? How important is it to worship God for who he is rather than who we would like him to be? That cuts down to that heart of idolatry. Yeah. As... Gosh, dang it, John. Well put. <laughs> yeah, he he does. He can, like I said, he can summarize pretty well for our layman thing. But anything in for part- being a rock star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anything in here that you that worked out or not worked out that jumped out at you? Yeah, I surprisingly, I was, as I'm looking, the main thing was on page seventy nine. See, I wish I would have taking the more time to write that out versus just saying, okay, this paragraph, this paragraph, because then I have to reread it and remember. <laughs> so let's see the second paragraph. We see this expansive understanding in the new Testament. When Paul says put to death, therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry account. The wrath of God is coming. Oh, that's terrifying. When we choose our own desires over God, we show that our truest heart's desire is something other than God. They expose our attempts to find more pleasure and happiness from an outside source than from him. And I'm guessing it's the when we choose our own desires over God is when was that shows our truest heart's desire. Okay. Oh, man, I didn't like that. Like, I think that's one thing, especially as Americans. Yeah. It's so easy to do. And it's like, it's one of those things where, because, I mean, we have it so well here. There's so much stuff that we can run and turn to for that feel-good pleasure and whatever. And 
I guess. Yeah. And not to say that it's easy to turn and obviously given this in anywhere else around the world, there's plenty of opportunity everywhere, but yeah, we I, have, we have it real easy here in the U S yeah. Uh, that's one thing that frightens me, I guess from time to time is, is like, imagine, imagine everything being taken away. Where yeah. would I go? How am I going to react? You know, and I guess the one time in my life where I can think of where I, I guess I, I guess gives me some peace of mind about it a little bit was the first motorcycle accident. Uh huh. Cause looking back, I was like, I, oh, okay. Yeah. My first absolute initial reaction, I was pretty pissed off. When I sat up for the first time after hitting the ground, <laughs> I was not a happy camper. Thankfully, that quickly. The air like the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thankfully, that was extremely short lived. I think literally as soon as I like sat up for about a minute, that left. I was like, and as soon as I looked at my arms, I was like, oh man. <laughs> I mean, it's like at that point, it's like, all right, well, it. There's nothing you can do about this. But like, I guess again, yeah, that was a very tough moment. Cause of course, yeah, the first thing that's running through my head is like, oh my gosh, like I'm not going to be able to play drums now for a while. I can't play guitar now for a while. Mm-hmm. No, all this other stuff. And then I'm sure I've shared this more times than need to be on this. I don't remember, but I do remember being in the hospital and hearing from the doctor saying that these are going to be, or have the potential of being major, like life altering injuries and stuff like that. And I was, I was freaked at that. Gosh, but yeah, I mean, thank you for my mother. Cause man, her words to, cause I mean, she heard that and i remember making eye contact with her and she's like she's like don't worry she's like god's got it you know he's got it handled i was just like it's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean with that and again it'd be so blessed to have the you know the family and like like the the church and stuff like that with me as i did in those moments Cause I mean, there was, I mean, yeah, there's, there's times of getting very nervous and frustrated and anxious, especially when I couldn't move my fingers really at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Immediately after the, I mean, the whole operation and stuff like that. But I guess with that, I, at the end of the day, I get, I didn't, I still haven't uh, turned my back on God and from that, at least in that instant. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, and at the time, I was like, I mean, yeah, maybe music and drums and stuff. I mean, was in my mind at that point. I was like, that was like <gasps> so much to me. And I mean, now it's like, I guess at some point you can take it or leave it. And I even remember my dad asking me that question one time before he's like, was asking me what was more important, if music was more important or if Jesus was more important. And I was just like, Gee! I was like, why are you asking me that? And that was, I mean, this was like probably two years ago maybe right but i was just thinking i was like you know like that stuff's all replaceable i guess Mm -hmm. but 
obviously Christ is not something that you can just swap out with anything. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, with that, at least, I, I mean, it gives me some peace of mind where it's like, you know, worse stuff happens, worst case scenario happens. Hopefully I do. Hopefully, I guess, yeah, my sight is drawn towards Christ in that instance. But like it again, yeah, being in America again, it's a, there's so much to your disposal where it's easy to just to get that quick fix and then move on to something else to get a different kind of fix from. And it's, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And especially America, you know, when you, when we look at Exodus, right. Mm-hmm. And it talks because Exodus 23 through four, that's where it talks about the idols. You shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, right? It's talking about a physical idol at that point. Yeah. You know, as life has gone on, it's been expanded in a little bit more through the Bible to say, hey, it's not just necessarily physical things, it's things that take your time. This can be a lot of things. Uh, What it's, you know, this can be things that we find satisfaction and happiness and anything other than God. Um, it's things that we seek to bring us pleasure at the time. It could be video games, music, pornography, mm. can even be innocent things such as guitars, drums. Oh yeah. You know, I, I, as you were just saying, you know, it could yeah. be all those things, right? Mm-hmm. That that's our, our modern understanding of idolatry is, but what's interesting that I was reading here and he brought it up in uh, his book, John did is Deuteronomy 17, two through five. What was the punishment for idolatry? It was stoning. <clears throat> yeah. Literally getting stoned. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't messing around. That is, he's being very concrete and saying, you shall have no other gods before me. So much so that it's this, right? And then he goes on to talk about jealousy. When we think about jealousy, we think about it in our very American context. As time. a negative. Well, yeah, as a negative, but, you know, I wrote here. Like when someone thinks of a jealousy in American life, we think of the person won the latest thing. Oh, Brittany has the latest iPhone. I'm so jealous. Right. Or someone has something good happen to them and they're jealous. It didn't happen for them. Right. Brian won the lottery. I'm so jealous. Or I wrote, how you younger people say it, jelly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Do we even say that anymore? I mean, probably. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, by the way, I, I just love this sentence. It just made me laugh. Is at the mm. t- top of page 79. It's the kind of jealousy a husband feels for his wife, oh. particularly if some knuckle dragger were to hit on her. <laughs> and I just like knuckle dragger. That's awesome. I haven't heard that before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the way John defines je- jealousy in this regard, God's jealousy, because, you know, we're told that God is jealous for his people. That's why he doesn't mm-hmm. want them to go to idols and that, that jealousy in this regard is a passionate zeal to guard the exclusiveness of a marriage relationship leading to anger against an unfaithful spouse. You're like anger. Wow, that 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 does, that doesn't seem uh, holy. Well, it is, yeah, <laughs> because it, it's trying to protect, you know, us as the unfaithful spouse from going off and doing our own thing. Oh, looky, that mm-hmm. that thing over there is beautiful. I want it. Uh, oh, again, and God's going stop, no, stop, no, no. stop. <laughs> it's gonna bite you. Yeah, and you know, and John makes a good point in here that you know our idols can be good things they can be things that give us enjoyment mm-hmm. but taken in excess and taken in things that without constraint they turn out bad right 
you know, and, and I love that he, and obviously Cooper can talk to this. I can't talk to this. So he says, our children can be idols at times. Yeah. You know, the fact yeah. that he doesn't want his kid to move to Africa for selfish reasons, even though they feel mm-hmm. they're being called that way. He's selfish. He doesn't want them thousands of miles away without the comforts of home, et cetera. Yeah. One, well, yeah. Talk about the whole, the medical, you know, care here yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then he, you know, he's talking about like when I'm in, in, I'm saying I'm in this, I'm just reading from John here, what he wrote, not the mm-hmm. book of John, John reading Cooper. John Cooper's book. He says, when I'm feeling needy, insecure, I tend to run to those things before I run to God. Mm-hmm. He's talking about how he runs to his family, music, friends, basically everything else besides God first when he feels needy or insecure and how, if not careful, those can become idols, even though those are good things. And that's a warning to us because mm-hmm. our support structure can become our idols if we're not careful. Oh, absolutely. And then he ends page 80 with a, this wonderful statement. When we speak or believe things about God that are untrue, it's akin to worshiping a false God. Oh, man. Yep. Mm. Anything else in on on these pages i know i kind of went for a minute oh, there no no i it was for whatever reason i had for the bottom of 79 the last paragraph where it says imagine that you are married but your spouse finds more satisfaction in another person than you whether that satisfaction is emotional intellectual or sexual won't her choosing what well, won't her choice bring you great pain don't you want your spouse to commit emotionally, intellectually, and sexually to you alone? Why would God want anything different? Right. And I guess, yeah, I, yeah, this, this has been, this is interesting, I guess, reading it in this manner, or I guess making me think of it in this manner. Cause yeah, there's the whole, you know, the church is, you know, what what the bride of Christ or whatever, mm-hmm. and, but I guess I've never thought of it as more on a more um, individual aspect of it mm-hmm. between just yeah me and God as far as think of where I throw all my attention to and well everything else and then it's just like oh hey dear. <laughs> forgot about you a little bit there i've been a little too distracted with all these other things and i was like man yeah yeah how does that make <clears throat> how does that make god feel yeah exactly not good no not at all and yeah i mean yeah you think about that with your friends and stuff like that or well i guess it's okay i've seen this context talking about like with spouses and stuff like that i mean yeah if, if if I had a wife, I, that would definitely be the case where it's like, I don't want her to find in all this attention or satisfaction from somebody else. It's like, well, clearly then I'm not good enough. And that would make me feel sad and upset and yeah. all that other stuff. So it's like, man, I, yeah, again, I can't imagine <laughs> how God feels, especially for everything that he has done. <laughs> right. You know. For us to, to be even to be able to have a relationship with them, anyways. So it's just like, man, oh man. And I mean, surprisingly, I mean, I mean, that's about it for me. So I mean, you can just 
nothing else on this chapter that you Take have? Take over, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, I have. Yeah, you got I, plenty of them. I, I, got, I got many more things. And one thing that I like that he does say here, and it's at the top of page 80, and I just was reminded of it. I didn't take a note of it. He says, mm. Paul shares that we must put to death all idols, anything that competes with our love of God. I was like, yep, okay, that hurts. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I know at times, you know, and, and, you know, it can be video games, it can be relaxing things, music, yeah. whatever. But even for me, that can be a hard thing where it does become idolistic in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, was, it was a good reminder of that. I know this wasn't supposed to be meant to be a Bible study, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> so then on page 81, John revisits that wonderful faulty logic of, you know, God is love, so therefore he can't send anyone to hell sort of deal, right? Right. And I love how he expounds upon that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. He says that essentially John's argument is that the person who believes that God can't send anyone to hell because he is love, that person is worshiping his own version of God, which in turn is an idol. In other words, since it is an idol, it is fully human with no divine nature. Going back to that concept of when we speak or believe things about God that are untrue, it's akin to worshiping a false God. He's tying mm. that all together, right? Right, right. And then he keep, continues on. He says, when we manipulate God or Jesus to be in the image we want him to be in, we are making up our own God. And I, and this is my personal injection here. Think of like the Romans and the Greeks who made all these this pantheon of gods and goddesses that were in their image that had their qualities, their faults, their weaknesses, their strengths that were very much human qualities, strengths, and weaknesses. We're, mm. we're, doing, we're doing the same exact thing when we make God into that image of what we want him to be instead mm. of accepting him as the image he that is. he is. And we recognize we have a bad misunderstanding of who God is, of who Jesus is. Mm. We are making God into um, what we want to be able to live with to fit our own desires. You know, I, you know, examples of this. I, I forget if he has this in his book or not, but I was like, these are whatever. I was like, homosexuality, gay marriage, hell, abortion, etc. Mm-hmm. These are all things that we want. The God that we want to have out there, at least society as a whole, we want to say this God that we want is for abortion, or this God is for this. Because it is culturally nice. It's the cultural zeitgeist. It's the thing that we want. And therefore, we have to make God into our own image to make us feel happy. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. And I love this that he says about this. And, and it's in 81 still. It's, do you notice that the most common issues people currently have with the Bible are the same issues that the world is constantly obsessed with? In other words, we want to conform God in the Bible to us instead of conforming, instead of us conforming to the Bible. Mm. Yeah. That was all page 81. That, ugh, gosh. That, mm. What? Yeah, that really hits hard. That really hits hard for what? Mm-hmm. If, if the whole all of America heard that right now, Mm-mm. yeah, I know. John, you'd be canceled ASAP. That's maybe why Amazon stops. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why Amazon stopped selling his book. I wonder if he knows. I I love this little thing that he talks about. So, it's at 
the bottom half of page 82. One of the biggest, I guess you could say, pagan gods that you kind of see come up over mm. and over and over in the Bible is Baal. Baal. Baal, right? You know, God continuously warned the Jewish people, the Israelites, saying, do not worship him. Don't do this. Don't do this, right? And he goes, John just goes, you know, adding the gods of our culture, abortion, homosexuality, same-sex marriage, blah, 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 right? To the church now is like the Jewish people adding Baal worship to the worship of God in the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. And I was like, ouch. That's exactly what I wrote. I was like, ouch, that hit. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Yes. <sighs> and then he continues on. He's like, is there anything more harmful to the church than rock star preachers? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, John. <laughs> well, he's not called. No, no, he's not himself. Yeah, no, no. What what he's referring to are those yeah. popular preachers, Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. Well, I I thought of him immediately as Rob Bell. Yeah, you know he has gone off the deep end. Unfortunately, probably taken a lot of people with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- I pulled this quote from an article, and I'll link it in the notes as well. It says this: According to Bell, Christ didn't come to die for the atonement of sin. Instead, his life was spent putting flesh and blood on the words of Scripture. He was a physical interpretation of the Torah and left his followers a similar responsibility to make decisions about what's written in the Bible. And some of those are quotes of Bell. Um, The Mm -hmm. make decisions about what's written in the Bible is a quote from Bell. Hmm. And I was like, wow, okay. Woo, we just went off the deep end there. So, you know, that was one of the ones, you know, Mark Driscoll, I'll add him as another one on the list of, 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 uh, rock star preachers, you know, and that, um, was it Stephen Furtick over oh, in New York? Yeah. 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 You know, people like him, they are T day. I don't know. Forget the name, but there, there's a bunch of those preachers that are real popular like that. And then their views have gotten a little wonky. Mm-hmm. So sad. Yep. And then this here. And I loved that he wrote this. He said, idolatry uh, idolatry is adultery. And I was like, yep, he's he's, he went right there. He's saying committing adultery is akin to spiritual adultery. And then this last paragraph here that I'll read. If your idols are keeping you from God, tear them down. Whether those idols are some physical objects, some sin that you desire more than you desire God, or some misconception of God you hold because it's more pleasant, get rid of them. God eagerly wants you to turn away from those lesser loves and come back into the arms of your first love. Mm. I was like, that is a good way, John, to end that chapter, even though he has two more paragraphs. Right I wish he would that. have ended it right there. Yeah, that's the end of chapter seven, unless you have something else to add there. No. All right. Guess uh, next time we'll go on to chapter eight.